the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob Fratz Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority, and it gets underway this morning at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Monday, the 27th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2018. Thank you so much for joining us. Coming up in about 40 minutes, we'll call it 41 since it's 9.07 right now, Congressman Jim Jordan will join us, as he does each and every Monday, schedule permitting, to discuss a host of things, including the passing, obviously, of Senator John McCain, national reaction to that. We'll get his thoughts, his relationship uh, with John McCain, and talk a little bit more about uh, the uh, six-term senator. He had been in uh, Congress for 30 five years at the time of his passing and of course we will discuss the complicated relationship that the senator has or had rather with uh, president trump uh, congressman jordan and i will discuss that we will also talk about uh, the battle that the president is facing right now with respect to the Mueller investigation and last week's um, legal proceedings uh, in which Paul Manafort was convicted on 8 out of 18 counts and uh, his former attorney, Michael Cohen, pled guilty to various crimes and then seemingly tried to implicate President Trump uh, as a, an unindicted co-conspirator. What is all that going to mean long term? Congressman Jordan and I will talk about that. Of course, he is always on the very cutting edge with the latest breaking news on the Mueller investigation. So we're going to talk to the congressman about that before and after Congressman Jordan joins us. You can join us at 216-901-0945. You can also dial 888-281-1110. That will get you into the program. If you would like to comment on the program but not be on the radio and not have to sit on hold, I will read good tweets as long as they are relevant and on point. Uh, find me on Twitter. Much to my shame, I have an account, as you know, not proud of it but will not surrender the platform for information to the liberals. So on Twitter, I will share that information, and I will read yours at uh, France, or, yeah, well, France Radio or Radio Done Right, either one of those. France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio or Radio Done Right. 
that is the handle on Twitter. You can also comment to the stories on the stories that I post on my Facebook page, which is also France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. I want to start uh, this morning, quite obviously, the way most in the news over the weekend and uh, this morning have begun their programs with some thoughts on Senator John McCain's passing. You're seeing statements from both sides of the aisle, bipartisan praise for John McCain and admiration. There aren't too many figures who cut such a a large figure in the United States Senate. You're hearing from independents, and people are, are saying, you know, here's a guy, you know, who would pretty much tell you how he felt. He wouldn't just be all political in all circumstances, but he would lay it on the line. And if he thought you were wrong, you know, he would certainly tell you about it. I remember an incident where he was on PBS back in the 1990s, and they were talking about the Vietnam War in his captivity, and and one of the other figures on was McGeorge Bundy. McCain shot back at one point at, at, at McGeorge Bundy, who said, you know, he said, if you were still in charge, I think I'd still be there. Uh, here was a guy who who never uh, didn't fail to give someone a piece of his mind if he thought that was the thing to do. That's uh, Chad Pergram uh, reporting for Fox News about uh, the passing of John McCain, and I think everything he said is fairly accurate. Uh, there are a few figures who have cut you know, quite as, as, as large of a, of a path through the Senate through the course of six terms as John McCain and certainly someone who has angered people on both sides of the aisle, hence his uh, long-ascribed uh, nickname as a maverick or the maverick. Uh, it's something that he really, you know, uh, took very, very seriously. Sometimes, however, it was to his party's detriment. And you might say, well, that's fine, as long as it's to the nation's best interest. And that, of course, is always a matter of opinion. Those on one political side of the aisle believe that that uh, maverick style will have hurt them or could have hurt them more than, uh, than, than it helped the nation. And I think perhaps sometimes that is true. And that led, of course, to Senator John McCain's very complicated relationship with President Donald Trump. We all know, you know where this ended up. Um, not too many people know where it really began. Um, but let's kind of go backwards in re- reverse chronological order and talk about what happened over the weekend. The president decided, uh, according to multiple reports this morning, to shelve a heartfelt statement commemorating the life of John McCain that was put together by the White House. The White House drafted a statement to be sent out on behalf of the president and the president's administration. One one that uh, referred to John McCain as a hero, praised his military service, and uh, touted his accomplishments as a six-term senator. This according to the Washington Post. Take that for what it's worth. It is WAPO. All right? But the uh, White House was ready to send out the statement, and the president, according to multiple reports, told his aides, pull it. Do not send that remar- those prepared remarks out. Uh, after they found out that uh, John McCain had died after that year-long battle with brain cancer. Instead, the president said, I've got this. And he tweeted the statement instead. Very, very short and very, very interesting in terms of to whom the tweet referenced. Uh, The president tweeted, quote, My deepest sympathies and respect go out to the family of Senator John McCain, our hearts and prayers are with you! Exclamation point. That was the end of the tweet, and that was the end of the president's statements. It was noteworthy for a couple of reasons. Number one, because the president never referenced John McCain, not sympathies for John McCain, the loss of John McCain, nothing about the actual, 
you know, patriot John McCain or hero John McCain or senator that is John McCain. Nothing about him, his life, his where anything referencing him. It's just the family. I feel for you guys. That's it. My deepest sympathies and respect go out to the family of Senator John McCain. Our hearts and prayers are with you, exclamation point. That struck a negative chord with a lot of observers who felt that the president was being uh, extraordinarily petty for his refusal, uh, by his refusal to acknowledge even the senator himself, only the, the senator's family, not even an RIP John or an RIP Senator McCain or something in that vein, just a memo to the family. Some, like I said, found that is very, very petty. I would uh, tend to agree it was rather petty. However, I would hesitate before fully condemning President Trump. Because the relationship that he had with John McCain was extraordinarily petty on both sides. It is also noteworthy that on the day and in the subsequent 24 to now nearly 36 hours since John McCain's death, more focus has gone to Donald Trump than to John McCain. And that is because of the overwhelming, widespread um, disease that is Trump derangement syndrome. I firmly believe that. I mean, it's almost an epidemic. It is sweeping parts of the country. John McCain passes away, and the focus isn't as much on John McCain as it is on how will Trump respond? What's Trump going to say? What did Trump say? Oh, my gosh, did Trump say the right thing? It has become such a just a national embarrassment that everybody is hanging on every word or action or tweet from Donald Trump, especially when at a moment that is not Donald Trump's. This moment is John McCain's and his family's. He has passed away. It is now time to memorialize. It is now time to look at his his life and his legacy. And yes, some of the controversy. We all know the story. Being shot down, captured, put in the Hanoi Hilton. And for over five years, the way the the official story goes, was tortured. uh, Did not uh, uh, accept release when he could have gotten released because he said it wasn't his turn. There were others who had been held longer. That made him a hero. In, in almost everybody's eyes. and But then we also know the controversy about that. There, there were fellow prisoners of war who were at the Hanoi Hilton, as it became known at the time, who say, no, this wasn't the hero that everybody is, thinks that, it, that he was. Uh, this guy uh, avoided torture and avoided uh, most of the terrible things that the rest of us endured by singing, uh, by giving the enemy exactly what they wanted to hear. There were all these controversies. This isn't new. This is at the end, and at the end of his life, this is what some people are debating, and that's okay. That's the conversation should be about the life and legacy of John McCain, whether you liked him or didn't like him, whether you respected him or didn't respect him. Hopefully, you still respect the fact that a man has died. He has lost his life, and you wish him eternal peace and rest, which is exactly what I did on social media, and that you wish comfort for his grieving family. Those things you can do. You can recognize 35 years of service to the United States, whether you agreed with his views or not. You recognize his service in the Senate. You appreciate that, and I have said those things as well. President Trump decided to simply say, deepest sympathies and respect to the family. 
Hearts and prayers with you. That's it. Now let's go a little bit further back, as I said, in reverse chronological order. Why would the president be petty in a situation like this? Well, it could be because less than a year ago, Senator McCain, using the platform that the terrible, horrific, tragic diagnosis that he had received, um, chose to be petty to Donald Trump. Once he was informed that his brain cancer was inoperable, that he essentially was living on borrowed time, he only, even with, with treatment, he only had months to live, which turned out to be true. He used that platform and that particular uh, moment to express and double down on his disdain and his disgust for Donald Trump, declaring that he does not want him at his funeral. Certainly his right, but certainly what one might be call, what one might call petty. Donald Trump is the President of the United States, a fellow Republican, a fellow American, a fellow public servant. One would think that all living presidents, including, of course, Barack Obama, who defeated John McCain, George W. Bush, who, of course, a fellow uh, Republican, you know, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, one would think that they would all want to be in attendance to pay tribute and honor John McCain. John McCain said, I don't want Trump there. The family indicated a willingness to, uh, to abide by that and to make sure that Mr. Trump knows he is not invited. He is not welcome at the funeral services. That's rather petty. On the flip side of that, however, we go back to why is there such enmity between these two men? Why? It crossed between personal and political boundaries. It crossed those boundaries, rather. We all know that just uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, when the uh, Republican Congress was trying to pass a repeal of Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, and return um, health care in this country and health insurance in this country to free market as opposed to government-run or nearly all government-run, giving people choices again and trying to lower premiums and deductibles and so on and so forth. Uh, they had a hard time, of course, getting anything past the Senate. They eventually got it all whittled down to what was being known as a skinny repeal, and it looked like it was ready to pass. There was one vote that needed to, uh, to happen in order to make it pass. That vote was, was from John McCain. And when John McCain, despite his illness, decided to return to cast a vote, it was believed that he was returning to cast the vote in favor of the skinny repeal. It was considered a personal rebuke and slap at President Trump, blindsiding him when he showed up and voted in Washington to kill the bill. That was a big, big moment between the two. Again, going in reverse chronological order, what would have led Senator McCain to take such a personal swipe, especially about something as huge as the health care repeal, as, as, as massive of a campaign promise as that was for Donald Trump, what would have led Senator McCain to doing that to Donald Trump at that moment, handing him a massive political defeat? And I think we know where that is going. It's going to 2015 and 2016 in the run-up to the presidential election, 
in the run-up to the Republican nomination of Donald Trump during the primary phase when President Trump made a comment about John McCain and his service in the war and his status as a hero, one that I think will forever live in infamy, one that the president should have felt profound regret for, but one in which he did not find any regret at all. That snub, that slight, you probably recall, but I'll share it again with you as we continue this discussion, of the legacy of John McCain and the strange political complications involved between himself and President Trump, even in death. We'll revisit that part of the story coming up next on AM 1420, The Answer. An appropriate Navy theme song for John McCain, Navy war veteran, obviously, POW, long-serving, 35 years in the United States Senate, uh, passed away, of course, over the weekend. And I just want to finish the thoughts on this, the complicated relationship that that, uh, John McCain, and this is sad, by the way, and and I'm guilty, I'm, I'm part of this. Because it's what's been going on for the last 24 to 36 hours. Focus has been taken away from John McCain and his life and legacy and put on Donald Trump. Did Trump say the right things? Did Trump give an appropriate tribute? Did Trump do, you know, Trump went golfing yesterday. And some said that's only 17 hours since the passing of John McCain. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe he's out there golfing. Leading to the question, what is the appropriate you know, grieving time or bereavement time for somebody uh, to to you know sit in a room quietly reflecting before they go out and do whatever it is that they do, especially when the person that they're talking about is not necessarily a friend or a uh, a close confidant. That that enmity between John McCain and Donald Trump, as I mentioned going into the break a moment ago, was crystallized. I think, of course, uh, in on the campaign trail when President Trump infamously criticized the former presidential nominee, John McCain, focusing on his military service and the time he spent as a POW, and declared that John McCain was not a hero. John McCain was only a hero, he said, because he had been captured. He said, quote, he's not a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people who weren't captured. It was, to me, one of the most regrettable lines or remarks that the president has said since he entered public life as a politician. It was terrible, and it wasn't the first time that he said it. Few people realize this. Again, going back in reverse chronological order, now I'm going back to 1999, the last year of Bill Clinton's presidency before President George W. Bush came along, back when he was just a private citizen, real estate developer, developer and game show host, Then just citizen Donald Trump, in an interview with Dan Rather, said the following, quote, he was captured. Does being captured make you a hero? I don't know. I'm not sure. End quote. Said that back in 99, which was a foreshadowing of what he would say in 2015 on the campaign trail during the Republican primaries. 
it is clear that President Trump, then candidate, or I'm sorry, then uh, uh, just uh, a citizen Trump, then as candidate Trump, and now as President Trump, has never had a strong fondness for John McCain. And the fact that McCain told his family, don't let him come to my funeral, would indicate that the feelings were mutual. Is any of this out of bounds? It sounds like this is reality of the situation. The two men did not like each other. They, they did not see eye to eye on just about anything. And now even in death. That controversy, that, divide, that, that uh, division still remains. And the question for me becomes, is it better to be honest? Or should the survivor in a feud like this lie and say things that he doesn't really feel about the recently departed? President Trump has, to- has chosen essentially to remain silent about John McCain and just express his sympathies to the family. Tell me how you feel about that. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I will tell you from my point of view, I actually prefer the authenticity that the president is displaying here. News Now on AM 1420, The Answer. I have a tweet here from Brett as we continue at 935 on AM 1420, The Answer. Good Monday morning to you. I have a tweeter from Brett who says, let's be real. No matter what at real Donald Trump did or didn't do, did or didn't say about hashtag John McCain, he was going to be criticized by the mainstream media. And that is exactly correct. That is very true. Which is why I answered my own question the way that I did going into the news a moment ago. Are you okay with the president's response here, or should the president have said flowery things about someone that he really did not like? and who clearly did not like him, and in a final sting, stinging rebuke of him in his, in his dying days, told his family, don't let him come to my funeral. Should the president have been fake and expressed things that he did not feel about John McCain? Or should he have been authentic and honest about his feelings and declared exactly what he did? He declared condolences and sympathies for the family because they've lost someone they love. Hearts and prayers are with you. Not anything about John McCain. And my own answer is I prefer the authenticity. Is it petty? Yes. But was John McCain petty to the president? Don't let him come to my funeral. Yes. It's all petty. It's all very, it's all very ugly, to be quite frank. But it's authentic. And why should the president, at this particular point in time, pretend to be something that he's not, which would be a fan of John McCain's? It would, it would, and Brett is right. The president would have been criticized. If he would have said glowing things about John McCain, he would have been attacked by the mainstream media and American celebrities. He would have been attacked. There's no, make no mistake about it. They would have said, you're a liar. You're just, you know, uh, how, why don't you say what you said about him when he was alive? Well, so the president said, okay, I'm not going to be fake then. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, you know, he didn't actually say, I, I don't care for the man, but he said, I'm just going to be silent about him and I'm just going to give his family condolences. The end. I don't blame the president for that. I truly do not. I, I, it's petty, but it's, 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 it's better than the alternative, which is phony and fake. My biggest problem in the McCain Trump relationship is, is obviously what he said in 2015 about John McCain, because it's about more than John McCain. When he said he's only a hero because he was captured, I prefer people who weren't captured. 
I'm sorry, not prefer like. He said, I like people who weren't captured. That, to me, should have been the most regretful thing the president has ever said in his public life. Because that is spitting on the sacrifice of every POW because they were captured, because it went beyond McCain. He said, I prefer people, plural, who weren't captured, meaning I prefer them over people who were captured, as if somebody who was captured is, is less heroic, is less uh, worthy of honor, and their sacrifice means less. And I, I just I could not disagree more. In fact, one could argue that those who survived capture, those who were POWs and who found a way to get themselves out alive by the end of the war, any war for that matter, I mean, their sacrifice should probably be at the very top of the list. That always bothered me. I said it at the time on these airwaves. And I'll say it again now. It was a terrible thing to say. And according to multiple reports in the last couple of days since John McCain's death, uh, staffers at the White House have indicated that he does not regret saying it. He has never publicly apologized for it or taken it back or tracked it and said, all right, I misspoke. That's not what I meant. You know, what I meant is that John McCain himself, I don't think necessarily handled himself with all of the grace of a, of, of, of a war hero uh, and his status being captured probably embellishes it a little bit about who he is and who he was. You know, he could have done something to explain that and make it a little bit more... I don't know, less offensive to all POWs, but he didn't. And he refused to, to retract it in these last two years since he said it in 2015. And I think that's a bit of a problem. All right, uh, 216-901-0945. Uh, and, oh, you know what? Before I take a phone call, let me read uh, w- one quick comment on Facebook as well. I told you I will read comments on Facebook and Twitter when they're made, if they're good and on point. Dale sent this about um, John McCain. He said, quote, well, you know what, let me hold off. I, I, it's long, and I don't want to cut off the callers before the, before the next break. I'll try to save this for a little bit later in the hour. Uh, let's go to uh, TJ, who's been waiting patiently on AM 1420, The Answer. I'll go phone calls first, then Facebook comments. TJ, go ahead. You know, Bob, first of all, I agree with you on two points. That angered me, too, his remarks about POWs. Yeah. And me, personally, I always believed if you don't show someone respect in life, don't be a hypocrite and show them respect in death. But the reason I call that's well said, that's well said, although I could say that if somebody truly is reflective of saying, you know what, I said some bad things about that person. And now that I look at his mortality and I think about my own mortality, I really regret saying those things. So if you pull those back after somebody dies and are honest and sincere and not just being phony and fake and being flowery in your language about somebody because they died. Um, if you're truly sincere about your regrets about things you said while they're alive, I, I think it's perfectly okay to say that after they pass. But if you still feel, especially since McCain in his dying days took that swipe at Trump, don't let him at my funeral, it, it's going to be bitter. That bitterness is going to remain for both, uh, including obviously the survivor in this case, uh, uh, Donald Trump. So, uh, yeah, I, I would prefer his authenticity. But, but here's what's bothered me. Watching all weekend this wall-to-wall eulogy, Flags at half-staff all across the nation. Now, you know, men return from war like John McCain and even a John Kerry or a Robert Mueller, and then they live a life of privilege, wealth, and stuff until they die. Well, many men return from war that don't live a life of privilege or wealth. These people live in obscurity. Many of them live and die on the street as homeless. And there's not one eulogy for them. There's not one flag at half-staff. 
and yet we go on for days and days and days about somebody like John McCain. And sometimes I think it just isn't fair. Well, if, if, if all he was was just a, a war survivor and a POW, uh, 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 TJ, who came home, uh, and he got all of these accolades and others who went through the same thing or similar things didn't, I would agree with you when you say it's not fair. But he's being honored not just for being a veteran who suffered. He's being honored because, unlike all of the other guys you just mentioned, he was elected to the Senate and, and re-elected five more times, a total of 35 years. He's being honored because of his public life in service, not just in the military service, but in his congressional service as well. And obviously, that's just, you know, that's, that's pretty much standard operating procedure. Ted Kennedy killed a woman. Ted Kennedy drove off of a bridge into a, into a body of water, swam to safety, and did not report what happened for, what was it, 10 hours or 8 hours? Ted Kennedy literally was, was responsible for a woman's death, and he, and he kept it covered up until she died. Literally, she survived in that bubble. I'm sorry I'm getting off topic here. That air bubble uh, at Chappaquiddick. She survived. If he had just called, called authorities and gotten police and rescue teams there, she could have lived. He killed one, and he was still lionized more than even John McCain is being right now by, uh, because of his service in the United States Senate and because of his status as, as a Kennedy. So the, the, if you serve in public life long enough in Congress or in you know, some other capacity as an elected official, you're going to get honored in your death no matter what you did in your life. Ted Kennedy is living proof of that. Uh, let's go to Tony, who's been waiting in South Euclid. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Tony, go ahead. Yeah, Tony from South Euclid. Good morning. Um, listen, I'm not going to expand on all this and get into detail. Look, the man has died. Uh, Mr. Trump has uh, made his comment, his respect towards the family. Mm-hmm. People are blowing this out of proportion. I personally, if I was president of the United States, if I was in Trump's shoes, I would handle everything that he's done in the last 10 years the same way. I would do it the same way that his comments, um, again, I'm not going to expand, but I would have made the same comments that I would have been in competition or as a candidate with uh, Mr. McCain. Um, I would do- I would have done the same exact thing, the same comments. Um Personally, um, I think that, um, again, I'm not going to expand on it, but uh, the man has died. You pay his respects. You made your comment. You went on Twitter. Right. End of story. You don't have you don't have to go on any further. Now, I, gotta, I, I agree, but the problem thing, okay? is, well, well, Tony, I've, I've got to let you loose here because I've got to make room for Congressman Jordan is coming on, but, uh, but I agree with you. You say what you have to say and, and let it be. The problem is the mainstream media will not be satisfied with that. They want more and more and more, so they get more and more clicks and views and, uh, and ratings. So uh, uh, let's get a quick time out here. We'll check our traffic. Congressman Jordan coming on next. Nine forty nine. Now the Bob France Authority does continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, as promised, we've got to get, uh, turn it over to our uh, my particular congressman, Fourth District Ohio Representative Congressman Jim Jordan on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, and our friend who joins us each and every Monday. Good morning, Congressman. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Hope you had a good weekend. I did indeed. Uh, thanks very much for that. One and zero football teams. One and zero on the uh, high school season so far. So that's a good. There that's you a go. Good, that's there right. My go. son's team kicks some butt on Friday night. So that made it a good weekend. The tough, all the way as the, what, tough as the fighting princes, right? 
student princes. Let's get that right for the, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, the, the fighting student princes of the Berg. Uh, Congressman, uh, let's, uh, let's dive into this. Um, obviously, the uh, nation is reacting to the passing of Senator John McCain. It was long time coming. People knew about the diagnosis several months ago. He fought it as far yeah. as he could. Obviously, uh, sure. stopped treatment uh, right before the weekend and passed shortly thereafter. Um, what are your uh, recollections of, uh, of Senator McCain? Well, I mean, he's an American hero, um, served our country, you know, as a, as a naval aviator and, and obviously as a United States senator, so in the, in, in the Congress before that, so um, amazing individual. But, but personally, I just, he, he, was a, he was a wrestler and a boxer kind of guy, so whenever, we were, whenever I had the, uh, chance to, the opportunity to be around him, he always talked wrestling with me, and just a uh, fun guy to be around. Didn't always agree with his, his uh, policies. But um, uh, a real gentleman and, a, and a, just, a, just an American hero and someone that I think every single American appreciates his service to our, uh, to our country. The uh, reactions, of course, uh, from uh, from around the political spectrum to Senator McCain's death are are varied. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people saying, you know, what he was the, the the maverick in the Republican Party because he was willing to go across the aisle and and shake the hands of Democrats and work with them on things that he believed in. And some say that's mm-hmm. great for the country. We do need more bipartisanship in this country. Mm-hmm. But others say he did so to the peril of the country because the Republican ideas were the right ideas and he killed them, especially in the most recent one, of course, his uh, vote to yeah. uh, kill the skinny repeal. And some say his turning his back on his party, rather than being bipartisan, uh, was, was, was very selfish because he actually stopped uh, some positive things from happening. Well, I mean, look, we've, we've talked about this. I disagree with his the position he took on the health care bill um, and some of the other things he's, he's done, but that doesn't uh, obviously diminish uh, the impact he's had on our country and the sacrifice he made for our country. But you're right. I, I, some of the policies just um, weren't what I thought were best for the nation. And nothing wrong with being bipartisan. I mean, look, uh, we've talked about this on your show before, Bob. Uh, Dennis Kucinich and I used to work together on, on, typically it was on civil liberty things, protecting basic fundamental uh, rights issues. Um, and we, we, we stood up to the, we tried to, tried to stop the bailouts for the big banks several years ago. So there's nothing wrong with working in a bipartisan fashion if it's truly in the best interest of, uh, of good policy for the country. But uh, I disagree with some of the things he took. But, but like I said, I think he's a, a guy who served our country, and so many Americans appreciate that that service he gave for uh, for our nation. Do you um, do you care that he was still a bitter enemy of President Trump's at the end, and in fact told his family, "I don't want him at my funeral," which has led President Trump to remain silent about him and only to extend condolences to the family? Is that is that acceptable? Well, I, that, I'll leave that between the McCain's and, and the president. Uh, what I do know about the president. As the president has had, I've said this before, had an amazing year and a half. And there's no doubt that we are better off as a country with him being president than we would have been with, with uh, President Clinton. Um, and I think about what's, what's taken place in the, in the 18 months. By anyone's definition, it is an amazing year and a half with what's happened on tax cuts, on regulations, the growth in the economy, the unemployment rate at its lowest in 20 years, that uh, crazy Iran deal is done. The embassies in Jerusalem, the hostages to come home from North Korea, and not to mention Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, two outstanding picks for the Supreme Court. So that's that that's a that's a good term. That's a good presidency, let alone just happening in a year and a half. So I'll, I'll let that stand. You know, the president's record I think speaks for itself. Fair enough. Uh, and, and, and to the president now, as we pivot, let's let's talk about this. I, w- I found this simply staggering today. I don't know if you saw the most recent uh, uh, NBC Washington Post poll. 
despite a week of Michael Cohen pleading guilty, Paul Manafort being convicted on eight out of 18 counts, all kinds of negative things, Lanny Davis promising more, uh, the, the left going crazy, screaming impeach. Uh, I don't know if you saw this this past uh, Thursday, their coverage of all of this between CNN and MSNBC on their programs on Thursday. They said the word impeach or impeachment 222 times. I mean, you talk about derangement. Uh, It's there. And despite all of this, Congressman Jordan, the newest NBC Washington, uh, I'm sorry, I think I said Washington Post, Wall Street Journal poll, the president hasn't lost a point. He actually yeah. still is at 52% approval uh, and uh, and 90% appro- approval among Republicans. And as we've talked about before, these, his ratings among minorities are at their all-time yeah. highest. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you about the president's um, uh, you know image? Well, it, there, there are two takeaways. One, just the list I just gave. It's been an amazing year and a half, and people understand that. And second, the American people are smart people. They can see the BS from the, from the news media. They see this this nonstop just attack on the guy that the American people made president of the United States. They see it for what it is. They know it's just like they're they're you know think about what they're running on the the hard left. They're going to you know raise taxes, abolish ICE, socialize medicine, and impeach the president. And most American people say, "Ah, I really don't want all that to happen. I don't really like all that. And and plus, I like sort of what I've seen in the last year and a half from President Trump. So it's those two key facts and the fact that the American people have common sense is why you see those those poll numbers, those approval ratings, where they're at. Congressman, um, what what is your update, if you will, on, on the Mueller investigation as you see it, given the things that I just mentioned about Cohen and about Manafort last week? Um, there have been new developments uh, as well. Um, where are we on this? Are we any closer to getting it wrapped up? Um, and, and, and what is your message? And I'm sure it's a continuing message well, to Bob Mueller and those who continue this, uh, this who, who, witch hunt. Who knows? I mean, we don't know where, but who knows when Bob Mueller is going to finish. What we do know is this is not an investigation into any possible coordination or collusion between between the Trump campaign and Russia, because there's nothing there. That, that's obvious. What this has now become is this is just an investigation of President Trump. What can we do? What can we find out? Where can we go dig to find anything and everything we can on the president? And this is why in this country it's not supposed to work this way. You're never supposed to investigate people. You're supposed to investigate crimes. And right now, we are now into an investigation that looks to me like it's all about investigating people, namely the President of the United States. So that's a problem. Tomorrow, I, I will tell you, we're going to have a long, I think, really long deposition of Bruce Moore. This is a key player in this whole saga um, to, to show what they did on the other side. Not kind of to, to, to try to figure out what they did on, on, on the other side. But we do know a few key facts. We know that Bruce Moore's wife was worked for the firm hired by the Clintons to put together the dossier, and we learned from Peter Strzok five weeks ago that Bruce Orr was the guy handing the dossier to the FBI. Now, like we said before, that is never supposed to work that way in this country. Never supposed to operate that way. And yet it did, and when they took that dossier, this, this unverified, salacious, disproven, no, no credibility to it, they took this document to the court, secret court. They didn't tell the court who paid for it. They didn't tell the guy who wrote it. A foreigner had been fired by the FBI because he was out leaking information. That's what we do know. And we got all kinds of questions asked Bruce Orr. Namely, who knew it? Who at DOJ knew you were doing this? Who knew you were running this operation? And who were you actually physically handing the dossier to at the FBI? Who took receipt of that? Those parts of the dossier that you were given to the FBI that were used to go to the secret court and a host of other questions. So this is this is, I think, in a very important deposition we have tomorrow, starting at nine o'clock in Washington. 
I like the uh, chemistry that we have when we talk to one another because oftentimes you do what you just did. You answered the question before I even asked it. Because <laughs> this is going to be closed door. We're not going to be able to hear what you asked. So I was going to ask you in advance if you can tell us what questions you think Bruce Orr must answer uh, in his testimony tomorrow. You gave me yeah, a yeah. couple of them. What, what is? What, go, go ahead and, and prioritize. What are the most important things that we what? need to find out from him tomorrow? Who knew? Did Rosenstein at DOJ know? Did Sally Yates at DOJ know? Who knew you were running this deal? Why didn't you why didn't you report that your wife was working for Fusion GPS, the firm hired by the Clintons to put together the dossier? Why, why didn't you report that? Why all the secrecy? How many different times did you actually talk to Christopher Steele? Looks like you talked to him at least 60, 70 times, either phone calls, uh, FaceTime, Skype uh, calls, or in person over a several-year period. How many times and where were all those? What all took place in those meetings? The final thing is, and I think this is probably the most important, we have 63 different pages of notes, emails, and, and, um, and messages back and forth between him and Christopher Steele. We need to ask him about all 63 pages of those notes. And so that, that's what I think is going to take the bulk of the time tomorrow uh, when we're in that, uh, in that deposition. Congressman uh, Jim Jordan joining us on AM 1420. The answer, can you tell us anything about what happened on Friday, uh, the conversation with, um, uh, uh, what is his name, uh, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Maffa, FBI official, uh, reports that I'm getting are after he spoke with House and Judiciary Committee uh, that that uh, he he has acknowledged that the FBI has not examined thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails and that they're not done yet. So is is yeah. is she is she in the clear yet, or is there still a chance that just the Justice Department is going to do some justice here? Well, I, I really can't get into too much of what took place once in, in those depositions, the actual answers until we transcripts are going to be uh, released. But I, I will tell you that. Um, we all suspected the fix was in on the Clinton investigation, and then we got to see the struck page text messages back and forth and the attitude that existed among these top investigators at the FBI, and it all just confirmed that the fix was in. So the idea that they may not have, have, have examined every single document that they should have doesn't, frankly, surprise me. <clears throat> I'll have to check and see what all that, what all that means, and we can't get into all the details. I was not at that deposition. That, that one was handled by staff lawyers on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, there weren't, there were no members there on that one, but there'll okay. be lots of members there tomorrow for uh, Mr. Orr. But but they're not done though. The, the, the takeaway from that though is they're not done. According to the report that I read from uh, the Washington Examiner, uh, there are other individuals, other FBI officials who are going to have to testify either before, as you pointed out. Uh, oh yeah, uh, no no no. The, lawyers representing the, the the committee or, or or the actual committee members. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, don't, Jim, Jim Baker. Chief Counsel, who's, who was demoted and then left the FBI, he's scheduled for a deposition. Okay. Um, I think it's important we get Bruce Orr's wife, Nellie Orr. I will be there definitely for that one, when in, if and when that one gets scheduled. And then I think also you have to think about Glenn Simpson. I think he may have to come back in because it looks like he may have said one thing to the to the uh, Intelligence Committee, but in some of the emails that we have between uh, Bruce Orr and Chris Steele, it looks like uh, that may contradict some of the things that Mr. Simpson said. So I think he has to come back in as well. Last thing before you go, uh, you and Congressman Meadows have been among the most critical uh, members of Congress of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Last week, it appeared that the war of words is ramped up between the president and the AG. Do you believe that President Trump should fire his attorney general? I, I think um, I think Jeff Sessions is not in, 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 in control of the, the um, Department of Justice. I think Rod Rosenstein is running the, the place over there. You can sense that, feel that when we've, we've been over there. Uh, even a year ago. So um, I do think at some point there'll be a change. Um, I like Jeff Sessions as an individual. I think he's a good man. I just don't think he's done a very good job running the Department of Justice. 
Fair enough. That's all I was looking for. Congressman, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck you tomorrow bet. on the conversation with Mr. Orr. We'll catch up with you again next week. Take care. Thanks. Thank you very much. Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer on a host of important issues. We'll get news now. You want to react? Phone lines are yours the rest of the show. Guest free in hour number two. Dial now, 216-901-0945. It's the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.